you are now tuned into World War I Stories. I'm your host, Steve Matthews, here to guide you through the labyrinth of memories and tales from the war to end all wars. Each Tuesday and Thursday, we dive headfirst into the captivating stories of World War I. We will traverse the trenches, soar with the Red Baron, and witness the dawn of modern warfare. We'll recount tales of courage and sacrifice, of human endurance against the odds, and of a world forever changed. But our journey through history doesn't stop there. For those of you eager to continue the exploration, we invite you to check out our sister podcast dedicated to World War II, which explores the next dramatic chapter of global conflict. You can find the link in the description or head over to podhour.com ww1. As the sun set on the peaceful city of Ypres, Belgium in April 1915, none could have predicted the horror that would descend upon the surrounding fields in the days to come. The First World War, the Great War as it was called, had been raging for months, and yet, the full extent of the cruelty and destruction it would bring was yet to be revealed. It was in the fertile soil of Flanders that a new chapter of this vast conflict would be written, one that would drastically redefine the boundaries of warfare. The Second Battle of Ypres was a potent mix of technological innovation, military strategy, bravery, and tragic loss, underlining the gruesome realities of a world at war. The tranquil Flanders fields became a ruthless testing ground for the monstrous invention of chlorine gas a tool of war that would forever change the rules of engagement. While nations clashed on the battlefield, individual lives were irreversibly altered, common men were transformed into heroes, and leaders were tested on the anvils of decision-making and strategy. It was here that the Canadian forces, among other Allied troops, tasted their first major engagement of the war. Their story, laced with courage, sacrifice, and an indomitable will to resist, was etched deeply into the annals of their nation's history and collective memory. This tale of Ypres is one of horror and heroism, of strategic victories and missed opportunities, of enduring resilience and catastrophic loss. As we delve into this story, we navigate the intricate dynamics that led to the battle, the groundbreaking tactics employed, the pivotal personalities involved, and the battle's profound influence on the broader events of World War I. Prepare to journey back into a critical moment in history, where humanity was tested, and the world was irrevocably transformed. Chapter 1. The Prelude to Battle In the early months of 1915, the Western Front lay frozen under the bitter European winter. An uneasy tension coiled around the trench lines that scarred the landscape, a premonition of the tempest to come. It was during these months that the simmering animosity between the Central and Allied powers began to build to a boiling point, soon to spill over in the town of Ypres. The German High Command, led by the insightful but somewhat impulsive Erich von Falkenhayn, had grown restless. They were keenly aware of the need to exploit the weaknesses in the Allied forces, an amalgamation of armies from France, Britain, Belgium, and Canada. The French and British armies were stretched thin, having faced the brunt of the offensive on the Western Front. The Belgians were resilient but significantly outgunned, while the Canadian forces were inexperienced in the face of large-scale warfare. 
the stalemate that had dominated the Western Front was wearing down the nerves of the Central Powers. Falkenhayn, a sharp-nosed man with deep-set eyes that bore an unsettling intensity, knew that the deadlock had to be broken. He had a secret weapon up his sleeve, a diabolical innovation that he believed would be the key to seizing the strategic advantage. Meanwhile, in the British camp, Sir John French, the commander of the British Expeditionary Forces, was grappling with his own challenges. A man of average height with a robust mustache that belied his anxious nature, French was constantly conscious of the overwhelming pressure upon his shoulders. His men were weary and morale was waning. The need for a decisive victory weighed heavy on his mind, yet the news from the front was disheartening. The enemy was planning something, his scouts had reported. But what, they could not say. In the north, the Canadian troops, led by Sir Arthur Currie, prepared themselves for the coming storm. Though their previous experience was limited, their spirits were high, and they were eager to prove themselves. The robust and keen-eyed Currie, who had risen from the ranks of a militia gunner to major general, felt a peculiar mix of apprehension and anticipation. He knew the days ahead would test him and his men in ways they couldn't possibly imagine. As spring began to unfurl across the scarred and pockmarked landscapes of the Western Front, the coiled tension began to stir. The stage was set for a confrontation that would echo through the annals of history, forever etching the name of Ypres into the global consciousness. The ensuing battle would not only change the face of the war but also profoundly alter the rules of engagement forever. While the powers were squaring off on the fields of Ypres, a completely different sort of battle was brewing in the labs of the German scientific community. The end product of this battle was a vile, choking agent that bore the innocuous name of chlorine gas. As much as the soldiers were key players in this unfolding drama, the scientists behind this deadly innovation were just as instrumental. One of these key figures was Fritz Haber, a German chemist. Despite his slight build and spectacled appearance, Haber was a formidable character. He was fervently nationalistic and saw in science a way to serve his fatherland. He spearheaded the effort to weaponize chlorine gas, driven by an unshakable conviction that his work would break the deadlock on the Western Front. Chlorine gas, an asphyxiant, had the potential to be a game-changer in trench warfare. Once deployed, it formed a thick, yellow-green cloud that would descend upon the trenches, causing choking, blindness, and often, death. In the confined spaces of the trenches, it was a death sentence. Haber knew this and believed that such a weapon would bring about the swift end of the war he craved. A stone's throw away from Haber's lab, Clara Immerwar, Haber's wife and a brilliant chemist herself, was grappling with her own set of challenges. A woman of deep principles, Clara was disturbed by the use of their scientific pursuits for such devastating means. She carried the weight of an internal moral battle, one that pit her personal loyalties against her ethical stand. Meanwhile, back on the front lines, oblivious to the ghastly surprise that the German chemists were preparing for them, Allied soldiers were going about their routines. They would soon be introduced to this horrific new facet of modern warfare, an encounter that would forever change their perception of the war and its grim reality. Thus, 
as the spring of 1915 brought the blossoming of flowers across the Belgian landscape, another, far grimmer bloom was set to erupt on the battlefield of Ypres. The advent of chemical warfare was on the horizon, and it would irrevocably change the face of conflict. Behind every great battle, there lie the stories of those who orchestrated it, the commanders and leaders whose decisions can shape the fate of thousands. The Second Battle of Ypres was no exception. Two individuals stood in particular prominence during this period, the stony-faced Sir John French for the Allies, and the calculating Eric von Falkenhayn for the Central Powers. Sir John French was a career soldier, his life shaped by the military principles of discipline, hierarchy, and duty. His piercing gaze belied a mind constantly at work. He was known to be somewhat reserved, preferring to express himself through actions rather than words. The responsibility of leading the British expeditionary forces was a mantle he bore with solemn commitment, but the impending battle and the unknown that it carried were a test even for his stoic composure. Eric von Falkenhayn, on the other hand, was a contrast to French. Falkenhayn was not only a soldier but also a thinker. His eyes, always seeming to carry a certain gleam, were a window to his sharp intellect. While French was quiet and restrained, Falkenhayn was not shy about voicing his opinions or strategizing openly. He possessed a formidable mind, and his determination to break the impasse on the Western Front was unwavering. Their lives were to cross paths in the most unlikely of places, the town of Ypres. Their choices would come to shape not only their own destinies but also the fate of countless soldiers under their command. The trials they faced, the decisions they made, and the consequences of their actions would serve to illuminate their characters in the harsh light of war. While these men were carving out strategies and plans, the unsuspecting soldiers in the trenches were going about their daily routines. Amidst the mud, the noise, and the constant threat of an enemy attack, the familiar faces of their comrades were their only comfort. Little did they know, their world was about to be turned upside down, all due to decisions made in far-off command tents by these key figures. As their stories intertwined, a saga was taking shape, a saga of strategy, suspense, and the ultimate test of leadership. The Battle of Ypres was looming, and it was about to take everyone by storm. Chapter 2 The Opening Salvos As April rolled into its final days, the air of tension was thick on the battlefield surrounding Ypres. The German forces, led by the enigmatic von Falkenhayn, had something chilling planned a development that would shock the world and redefine the art of warfare. The stage was set on the 22nd of April. The German artillery began an unusually heavy bombardment that day, which in hindsight would be recognized as the opening act of this grim performance. Then, as the day began to fade into evening, a peculiar sight caught the Allies off guard a cloud of greenish-yellow gas, released from the German lines began drifting towards their trenches. This was the weapon that Fritz Haber had been laboring over. In the confines of his lab, he had orchestrated the birth of chemical warfare, his passion and brilliance taking a dark turn. Far away from the battlefield, he remained blissfully ignorant of the horror his invention was about to unleash. In the trenches, confusion turned into terror as the gas reached the Allied lines. 
Men began to choke, their eyes burning, their lungs gasping for clean air. Panic ensued, orders were shouted, but nothing could prepare them for this. This was a terror unseen, unheard of, a silent, insidious killer. Sir John French, safe in his command post, received the horrifying reports. His mind raced. His men were dying, and he didn't know how to save them. He cursed himself for not foreseeing this. His heart heavy with despair, he gave the only order he could hold the line. In the Canadian trenches, Major General Sir Arthur Curry faced the same nightmare. His men, once lively and energetic, were falling around him, writhing in agony. As a leader, he felt each loss deeply, every fallen soldier a blow to his heart. But amidst the panic and confusion, Curry found his resolve. He rallied his men, steadied their nerves, and somehow they managed to hold their ground. As the gas cleared and dawn broke, the Second Battle of Ypres had truly begun. The first act had been horrifying, shaking the Allies to their core. But the fight was not over yet, and as they held their lines and regrouped, they pledged to confront whatever lay ahead. This toxic cloud was only the beginning. The worst was yet to come. As the smoke of the chlorine gas cleared from the battlefield around Ypres, the landscape revealed was nothing short of a ghastly nightmare. Soldiers from the Allied forces lay sprawled amidst the muddy trenches, the victims of a weapon unseen before. In the wake of this horrific sight, the remaining men steeled themselves for what was to come next. Major General Sir Arthur Currie, standing tall amid the chaos, surveyed the destruction around him. His men, Canadian soldiers mostly fresh to the horrors of war, had been tested in the harshest way possible. Their faces, once filled with the spirit of youthful enthusiasm, were now hardened with grim determination. Despite the trauma they had just experienced, the Canadians, together with the surviving British, French, and Belgian soldiers, rallied against the following German infantry advance. Their stand was a testament to their resilience. Each bullet fired, each foot held, screamed defiance against the adversity they faced. Back in the Allied command, Sir John French was pacing nervously. Reports were coming in of his men holding the line, despite the terrible blow dealt by the enemy. His heart swelled with pride, but his mind was already racing ahead, calculating their next move, preparing for the next German assault. On the German side, Erich von Falkenhayn was surveying the battlefield with a mixed sense of satisfaction and concern. His daring move with the gas had worked, but the enemy hadn't crumbled as expected. He admired the Allies' fortitude, but he also recognized the challenge it posed. Over the following days, the Allied forces found themselves pushed to their limits. The German onslaught was relentless, yet the Allied troops, led by a steadfast curry and under the strategic supervision of French, held their ground. The town of Ypres, so quiet and serene not so long ago, was now the center of a desperate stand. These were perilous times, filled with dread and uncertainty. But in these dark hours, the strength of human spirit shone the brightest. Each soldier, whether in the mud-soaked trenches or in the command posts, stood resolute, contributing to a collective resistance that would etch the Second Battle of Ypres into the annals of history. 
the brutal reality of war was never more evident than in the trenches of Ypres. However, amid the chaos and uncertainty on the front lines, a different sort of battle was taking place a battle of decisions, strategies, and immense responsibility. It was here, far removed from the immediacy of the trenches, that commanders like Sir John French and Major General Sir Arthur Currie were truly put to the test. In the British command post, Sir John French found himself under unprecedented pressure. Each report that arrived painted a picture of a scene more devastating than the last. His troops, despite their courage and resilience, were being pushed to the edge. French was plagued by uncertainty. Was he doing enough? Could he have foreseen the German chemical attack? Could he have prepared his men better? His anxious thoughts were only exacerbated by the strain of maintaining diplomatic relations. Allied unity was paramount, and French had to tread a delicate line, balancing the needs of his men with the demands of his French and Belgian counterparts. Navigating this complex web of relationships required both diplomatic finesse and strategic acumen, adding another layer to the trials French was facing. Over in the Canadian camp, Sir Arthur Currie was dealing with his own set of challenges. Leading his troops in their first major engagement, he was acutely aware of the weight of responsibility he carried. Each life lost, each man injured, felt like a personal failure. Amidst the turmoil, he found himself confronting his own doubts and fears. But in these moments, Curry found his resolve. He drew upon his innate leadership skills and strategic acumen to rally his men and maintain their morale. Despite the odds, these commanders, grappling with their own internal and external battles, managed to hold their lines against the relentless German offensive. They faced criticism, faced doubt, and faced loss, yet they carried on, undeterred. Their decisions, their courage under fire, proved instrumental in the overall conduct of the battle. As the Battle of Ypres continued to rage, it was becoming increasingly clear that this wasn't merely a conflict between two armies. It was also a battle of leadership, a test of command under fire. And in this test, men like French and Curry were proving their mettle. Chapter 3 The Battle Intensifies The introduction of chemical warfare at Ypres had shifted the reality of conflict into a realm of unprecedented horror. The stinging smell of chlorine was now etched into the memories of every soldier, a grim reminder of the terrifying new threat they faced. Back in Germany, Fritz Haber could hardly comprehend the carnage his creation had unleashed. While he had anticipated a swift victory through his chemical invention, the protracted nature of the conflict and the reports of the horrific suffering it was causing was a blow to his conscience. Torn between his nationalistic duty and the ethical implications of his work, Haber found himself grappling with the monster he had unleashed. In the midst of this, Clara Immerwar, Haber's wife, wrestled with her own moral turmoil. Unable to reconcile her peace-loving ethos with the horrific use of her husband's scientific brilliance, she found herself at odds with Fritz. Their personal tragedy unfolded parallel to the larger war, an intimate mirror reflecting the broad ethical dilemmas of this new age of warfare. On the battlefield, the horror wasn't limited to the gas attacks. The relentless artillery barges, the continuous threat of infantry charges, the gruesome injuries, 
and the constant fear of death all painted a nightmarish tableau of war. For the soldiers who had survived the initial gas attacks, the continuation of the battle was a drawn-out trauma. Major General Curry bore witness to the toll the conflict was taking on his men. He saw the spark of youthful vibrancy gradually dim in their eyes, replaced by a haunting emptiness. The trenches, once a scene of camaraderie and shared resolve, were now a landscape of desolation and trauma. Despite this, he tirelessly worked to maintain morale, reminding his troops of their duty, and more importantly, their shared humanity. As the battle stretched on into May, the horrors unleashed at Ypres seemed unending. The introduction of chemical warfare had marked a terrifying escalation, the ripples of which were felt in the far corners of the world. The face of warfare had been irrevocably changed, and the cost in human suffering was beyond what anyone could have fathomed. Yet, amidst the devastation, the human spirit continued to endure, a beacon of hope in a landscape of despair. As the Battle of Ypres raged on, an individual subplot unfolded the Siege of Fortuin. This tiny hamlet, nestled just to the east of Ypres, became a significant strategic point, a microcosm reflecting the broader, bloody conflict. For the men who fought there, Fortuin was more than just a location on the map. It was a symbol of their resilience, a testament to their bravery under the harshest circumstances. The responsibility of holding Fortuin fell largely to the 1st Canadian Division under Major General Curry's command. For these Canadian soldiers, many of whom were experiencing their first taste of frontline combat, the defense of Fortuin was a trial by fire. The village, once a quiet, pastoral setting, was now a maze of hastily dug trenches and makeshift fortifications. For days, the Canadians held their ground weathering a punishing German assault. The roar of the artillery was deafening, a constant reminder of the threat they faced. Amidst the noise, the chaos, and the fear, Curry's calm and determined leadership was a beacon for his men. His steady presence, his encouraging words, gave them the strength to persist. Meanwhile, at the German command, Erich von Falkenhayn was growing increasingly frustrated. He had expected the Siege of Fortuin to be a swift operation. The prolonged resistance by the Canadians was not just an operational inconvenience, but also a blow to the German morale. Still, Falkenhayn was resolute. He believed that the fall of Fortuin was imminent and would mark the beginning of the end for the Allies in Ypres. The Siege of Fortuin was more than a battle for Hamlet. It was a psychological struggle, a battle of wills. As the German forces relentlessly bombarded the village, and the Canadians stubbornly resisted, the spirit of endurance and tenacity defined the Second Battle of Ypres. Days turned into weeks, and the Siege of Fortuin continued, a bitter standoff under the ominous cloud of war. The resilience shown by the Canadians and the other Allied troops became a beacon of hope in the grim realities of war, a testament to human spirit and bravery in the face of overwhelming adversity. This spirit would shape the legacy of the Second Battle of Ypres, marking it as a turning point in the Great War. The battlefront was in a state of constant flux, but as the conflict stretched into its fifth week, it was the decisions off the battlefield that became increasingly crucial. 
the course of the Second Battle of Ypres was being shaped as much by strategic decisions as by the courage of the men on the ground. In the British command post, Sir John French faced the most critical decision of his career. His troops, having held off the German onslaught thus far, were growing weary. Casualties were mounting, morale was plummeting, and the unrelenting German pressure was straining their resilience to breaking point. The question looming over French was a heavy one, should they retreat, saving their remaining forces but ceding Ypres to the Germans, or should they continue the fight, risking further losses but holding the line? His counterpart, German General von Falkenhayn, was grappling with a similarly daunting decision. His initial plan to swiftly capture Ypres had faltered against the stubborn Allied resistance. The expected quick victory had turned into a protracted and costly battle. He faced a stark choice, should they intensify the assault, risking further German lives, or call off the offensive, preserving resources but accepting the failure to take Ypres? Back in Canada, Prime Minister Sir Robert Borden was embroiled in a different kind of decision-making. The news from the front was grim, with heavy Canadian casualties and a public increasingly anxious about the war. Borden was torn between maintaining public morale and preparing his country for the possibility of a long and brutal conflict. Meanwhile, in Germany, Fritz Haber was faced with his own inner conflict. His invention had led to unprecedented suffering, causing him to question his role in the war. Should he continue to serve his country by advancing the tools of war, or should he step back, rejecting the horrific consequences of his innovations? These decisions, shaped by the complex interplay of military strategy, political pressures, and personal convictions, played an essential role in the unfolding of the Second Battle of Ypres. The leaders were confronted with the harsh realities of war and their choices reflected not only their strategic judgment but also their understanding of the human cost of the conflict. These critical decisions, often made behind closed doors and away from the front lines, significantly influenced the course of the battle and the fate of those caught in its midst. Chapter 4 – A Pyrrhic Victory As the Second Battle of Ypres entered its final weeks, the once solid lines of defense were starting to show signs of fracture. The relentless German offensive, the toll of the chemical attacks, and the sheer exhaustion were beginning to wear down the resolve of the Allied forces. In the trenches, the men of the Canadian 1st Division could see the toll the weeks of fighting had taken. Friends they had shared jokes and dreams with were now just memories. Their once sturdy trenches were crumbling, much like their hopes of a swift resolution to the battle. Yet, in the face of such adversity, there was a stubborn refusal to give in, an indomitable spirit that wouldn't be crushed. Major General Curry was bearing the weight of his own shattered illusions. He had expected losses, but the scale of the carnage was beyond anything he had prepared himself for. Looking into the faces of his weary men, he saw mirrored reflections of his own struggle. However, he held on to the belief that their sacrifice was not in vain, that their stand at Ypres was changing the course of the war. On the German side, the shattered lines were not just physical but also a dent to their morale. General von Falkenhayn was facing the stark reality that his initial strategy for a swift victory had failed. Despite their superior numbers and the use of deadly chlorine gas, 
the Germans had not been able to break the Allied defense. The expected triumph had turned into a grinding war of attrition, causing cracks in the German resolve. Back home, the reports from the front lines were causing a ripple effect of shattered illusions. In Canada, Prime Minister Borden was grappling with the responsibility of sustaining the morale of a nation heartbroken by the loss of its young men. In Germany, Fritz Haber's chemical innovation had not led to the quick end of the war he had envisioned, but had instead opened a Pandora's box of ethical dilemmas and horrific suffering. The shattered lines at Ypres, both physical and psychological, marked a critical juncture in the Second Battle of Ypres. They underscored the heavy toll of the conflict, the immense sacrifice of the soldiers, and the far-reaching impacts of the decisions made by leaders. The struggle to hold or break these lines, in the trenches and in the hearts and minds of the men, was an indelible part of the battle's unfolding story. The Second Battle of Ypres finally came to a halt in late May 1915. The fields that had once echoed with the sounds of chirping birds and rustling leaves were now silent, save for the mournful wind that whistled through the scarred landscape. The once picturesque Belgian countryside had been transformed into a tableau of devastation, a testament to the heavy price paid for victory. The Allied forces, albeit weary and significantly reduced in number, had managed to hold their ground against the German onslaught. Despite the use of deadly chemical warfare and a relentless offensive, Ypres had not fallen into German hands. This defensive victory, however, came at an enormous cost. Major General Curry, looking over the battlefield, felt a wave of mixed emotions. There was relief at having held their ground, pride at the bravery his men had shown, but also a profound sorrow for the friends and comrades they had lost. The cost of victory was etched into the faces of his men, seen in the empty spaces where their comrades had once stood, and felt in the profound silence that hung over the battlefield. In Germany, General von Falkenhayn had to contend with his failure to capture Ypres. The high command had anticipated a quick victory, one that would demoralize the Allies and strengthen Germany's position. Instead, the battle had dragged on for over a month, leading to substantial German casualties and no significant gain of territory. In Canada, Prime Minister Borden was confronted with the challenge of framing the battle's outcome. The nation had paid a heavy price in terms of the lives of its young men. Still, their heroism and tenacity on the battlefield had marked Canada's emergence as a force to be reckoned with on the international stage. Borden knew that this narrative would play a crucial role in shaping Canada's national identity. For Fritz Haber, the end of the battle brought no comfort. His chemical innovation had failed to bring about the swift German victory he had envisioned, and the horrific impact of his invention was a heavy burden to bear. The cost of victory, or the lack thereof, was painfully clear to him, and it cast a long shadow on his future contributions to the war effort. The end of the Second Battle of Ypres signaled a victory for the Allied forces, but it was a victory steeped in sacrifice and loss. The battle had exposed the devastating potential of chemical warfare and set the stage for the brutal trench warfare that would characterize the remainder of the First World War. The cost of this victory would continue to resonate, shaping the lives of those involved and the course of global events in the years to come. In the wake of the Second Battle of Ypres, 
the world had witnessed a potent mix of bravery and tragedy. The courage of the soldiers in the face of horrific new warfare methods contrasted starkly with the tragic loss of life and innocence that marked this pivotal moment in the Great War. Major General Arthur Curry found himself in the unenviable position of commemorating the bravery of his fallen men while contending with the palpable tragedy of their loss. The tales of valor from the trenches, of men charging into the deadly fog of chlorine gas, of medics risking their lives to save others, painted a vivid picture of heroism. Yet each story was underscored by a profound sense of loss, each act of bravery a stark reminder of the human cost of the war. Meanwhile, for Sir John French, the fine line between bravery and tragedy was a constant preoccupation. As the commander of the British Expeditionary Forces, he had seen firsthand the courage of his men. Yet, the thousands of tombstones filling the makeshift cemeteries around Ypres were a constant, heart-rending reminder of the tragic toll of the battle. In Germany, General von Falkenhayn wrestled with his own version of this dichotomy. The bravery of his troops, who had charged into battle under the belief of a swift victory, contrasted with the tragedy of their unnecessary loss. The dream of a quick resolution had dissolved into the bitter reality of a protracted and costly conflict. Back in Canada, Prime Minister Borden was dealing with a nation caught between pride in its troops' bravery and grief for their loss. He saw families swelling with pride at the heroism of their sons, brothers, and husbands, yet simultaneously mourning their tragic demise. And for Fritz Haber, the line between bravery and tragedy was painfully blurred. His courage in pursuing scientific advancement had led to a tragic application of his work. The man once celebrated for his brilliance was now grappling with the devastating consequences of his innovation. The Second Battle of Ypres had been a journey between bravery and tragedy for each individual involved. Their experiences encapsulated the complex interplay of heroism and loss, a theme that would echo throughout the remaining years of the First World War and shape the narrative of this historic conflict. Chapter 5 Impact on the Great War In the annals of the First World War, the Second Battle of Ypres occupies a distinct place. The events that unfolded on the battlefields around Ypres acted as a catalyst, precipitating the descent into a new level of horror that would characterize the rest of the war. At the heart of this shift was Fritz Haber's deadly innovation. The successful use of chlorine gas marked a horrifying turn in warfare, introducing a new level of terror and unpredictability on the battlefield. It demonstrated the potential of science as a tool for destruction and brought the specter of chemical warfare into the mainstream. For the soldiers on the ground, both Allied and German, the memories of the deadly yellow-green cloud marked a chilling realization of the depths to which the war could sink. Their tales of facing this invisible enemy, their descriptions of comrades choking and succumbing to the deadly gas, were chilling reminders of this new horror that had been unleashed. Major General Arthur Curry, who led the Canadian 1st Division, saw firsthand the horrific consequences of this new weapon. He carried these memories back with him to Canada, where they served to underscore the harsh realities of the war to a public far removed from the front lines. In Britain, Sir John French and his superiors in the war office had to grapple with the implications of this new form of warfare. 
the introduction of chemical weapons meant reassessing strategies and developing countermeasures, a task fraught with challenges. The fear of such weapons also became a potent tool for rallying support for the war effort, adding a new dimension to the narrative of the conflict. Meanwhile, in Germany, the introduction of chemical warfare was viewed with a mix of satisfaction and trepidation. While General von Falkenhayn was initially pleased with the advantage it provided, there was a growing sense of unease about the ethical implications of such weapons and the potential for retaliatory measures. The Second Battle of Ypres, with its introduction of chemical warfare, acted as a catalyst for a new level of horror in the First World War. Its legacy echoed throughout the remaining years of the conflict, serving as a stark reminder of the lengths to which humanity could go in the pursuit of victory. This catalytic event altered the course of the war and marked a significant shift in the history of warfare. In the aftermath of the Second Battle of Ypres, the relationship between the Allied powers took on a new depth. The shared horror of chemical warfare and the shared triumph in the face of adversity solidified alliances and established new bonds of trust and cooperation. For Major General Arthur Curry and the Canadian 1st Division, the Battle of Ypres marked their emergence as a crucial force within the Allied powers. Their valor and tenacity in the face of the German offensive earned them the respect and admiration of their British and French counterparts. This forged a deep bond between the Canadian forces and their allies, one that would play a significant role in the cooperation and shared strategies of the years to come. In Britain, Sir John French saw the Battle of Ypres as a turning point. The use of chemical warfare by the Germans and the brave stand by the Allies, including the impressive contribution of the Canadian forces, underscored the need for unity and coordination among the Allied forces. This realization was a pivotal moment for French, leading to a greater focus on the coordination of strategy and resources among the Allies. Similarly, for French Commander-in-Chief Joseph Joffrey, the Battle of Ypres emphasized the importance of Allied unity. The impact of the German gas attack had hit French forces hard, and the subsequent defense by British and Canadian forces underscored the vital importance of Allied cooperation. This appreciation for the collective strength of the Allies guided Joffrey's strategic thinking and leadership throughout the rest of the war. Prime Minister Borden of Canada viewed the Battle of Ypres as a defining moment for Canada's role in the global arena. The bravery shown by Canadian forces, and the recognition they received from their allies, confirmed Canada's position as a respected and valued partner within the Allied powers. Borden leveraged this newfound respect to ensure Canada's voice was heard in Allied strategy meetings, asserting the country's emerging international status. The Second Battle of Ypres acted as a crucible for the Allied powers, forging stronger ties and fostering deeper cooperation. The shared experience of horror, bravery, and triumph united these nations, marking a pivotal moment in their collective journey through the trials of the First World War. In the stark aftermath of the Second Battle of Ypres, military leaders on both sides were compelled to reassess their strategies. The shocking introduction of chemical warfare had irreversibly altered the landscape of the conflict, prompting adjustments in tactics, preparation, and countermeasures. General Sir John French, leading the British Expeditionary Forces, faced the task of re-evaluating his approach.
the devastation wrought by the chlorine gas forced him to reconsider established battle tactics. New methods of defense against chemical attacks had to be implemented, with gas masks becoming a standard part of a soldier's kit. Trench designs were also altered to reduce the impact of the deadly gas, introducing new complexities to the already difficult living conditions of the trenches. Major General Arthur Curry, in light of the heavy losses his division suffered, was tasked with restructuring and replenishing his forces. The survival and success against the German assault had proven the mettle of the Canadian 1st Division, and they were now viewed as a vital component of the Allied defense. Curry's focus shifted to enhancing training, especially with new countermeasures against gas attacks, to ensure his men would be better prepared for the changing face of the battlefield. In Germany, General Erich von Falkenhayn had to contend with the mixed consequences of introducing chemical warfare. While it had initially provided an advantage, the inability to capitalize on the surprise and confusion caused by the gas was a tactical failure. Furthermore, the global outrage at the use of chemical weapons led to a diplomatic backlash. Von Falkenhayn was forced to balance the desire for military advantage with the potential political ramifications. For Fritz Haber, the chemist who had developed the deadly weapon, the aftermath of Ypres was a period of intense research. With the Allies undoubtedly working on countermeasures, Haber and his team had to stay a step ahead developing even more potent weapons and strategies to ensure Germany retained its advantage. The Second Battle of Ypres thus marked a watershed moment in the First World War, compelling both sides to adapt to a new, more terrifying form of warfare. The strategies and tactics of the past were no longer sufficient, and military leaders had to embrace the chilling reality of this new era of war. Chapter 6. Legacy Long after the guns fell silent, the scarred landscape around Ypres bore witness to the horrors of the Second Battle. From the bullet-riddled buildings of the city to the desolate stretches of no man's land, every inch of the terrain echoed with stories of bravery, loss, and innovation. At the heart of Ypres stood the famous Cloth Hall, a symbol of the city's rich history, now reduced to a skeleton by the relentless shelling. Its ruins stood as a stark reminder of the destruction brought upon the city. It silently testified to the brutalities of war, its once grand architecture reduced to rubble and ash. Amidst the desolate trenches and the ruined cityscape, the ubiquitous poppy flower began to bloom. It found life in the scarred and churned soil, a vibrant contrast to the grim gray of the trenches. Lieutenant Colonel John McRae, a Canadian doctor, was inspired by this sight. He penned the famous war poem, In Flanders Fields, underlining the bitter irony of life blossoming amidst the death and destruction of war. The cemetery of Tyne Cot, the largest Commonwealth War Graves Commission cemetery, cradled the remains of thousands who had lost their lives in the Battle of Ypres. Each gravestone, each name etched on the memorial wall, was a silent witness to the price paid in the bloody standoff around Ypres. This somber place stood as a tangible reminder of the human cost of the battle, a cost that extended beyond the combatants to include civilians caught in the crossfire. The gas-cratered landscapes, where the first chemical weapons were unleashed, were also stark testimonials. 
the introduction of chemical warfare had left not just physical but psychological scars on the landscape. These regions stood as chilling reminders of the darker side of innovation, of the devastating power that science could unleash when bent towards destructive ends. The legacy of the Second Battle of Ypres was etched into the very landscape around the city. Each ruin, each scar, bore silent testimony to the battle's historical significance, serving as a reminder of the cost, the innovation, and the horrors of that pivotal chapter of the First World War. The silent witnesses around Ypres continue to recount the stories of those terrifying days, reminding future generations of the true cost of war. In the annals of national memory, the Second Battle of Ypres occupies a space of significant importance, especially for the Canadians. The grim events that unfolded on the battlefield and the bravery demonstrated by their forces became a part of the national consciousness, shaping identities and inspiring future generations. Canada, still emerging from the shadow of British colonialism, found its international standing dramatically transformed by the battle. The bravery and tenacity of the Canadian 1st Division at Ypres established the nation as a force to be reckoned with. The resilience and courage of the Canadians were celebrated across the Allied nations, with Prime Minister Borden championing these feats back home. Ypres became a symbol of national pride, a testament to the emerging nation's strength and resolve. Major General Arthur Currie, whose strategic brilliance guided the Canadian forces, became a national hero. His name was synonymous with the staunch defence at Ypres, symbolising the country's military prowess. The narrative of his leadership at Ypres and his subsequent rise to become the first Canadian commander of the Canadian Corps was a story that inspired generations of Canadians. In Britain, the Battle of Ypres was a stark reminder of the horrors of chemical warfare. It also highlighted the valour of their allies, especially the Canadians. The event shaped the nation's collective understanding of the war, reinforcing the importance of unity among the Allies and cementing a sense of brotherhood with the Canadians. In Flanders Fields, the poem written by Canadian Lieutenant Colonel John McRae in the backdrop of Ypres, had a profound impact on both national and international memory. Its poignant lines, inspired by the sight of poppies growing amidst the war-ravaged landscape, resonated with people around the world. The poem became a symbol of remembrance, its verses recited during memorial services across nations. In Germany, Ypres signified the introduction of a new dimension of warfare, the use of chemical weapons. While the tactic initially brought an edge to the German forces, it also led to international backlash and condemnation, casting a dark shadow on the nation's history. The echoes of the Second Battle of Ypres reverberated long after the war, forever etched into the national memory of the nations involved. The tales of heroism, sacrifice, and innovation became integral parts of their respective histories, shaping national identities and influencing the global perception of the First World War. As the dust settled on the Second Battle of Ypres, the horrifying precedent set by the use of chemical weapons loomed over the future of warfare. The chlorine gas attack masterminded by Fritz Haber, a renowned chemist, had introduced a new weapon of mass destruction into the world's military arsenal, setting a dangerous precedent that would shape future conflicts and international regulations. 
Haber, hailed as a national hero in Germany for his contribution to the war effort, found himself at the epicenter of a moral quandary. The chemist, who had earlier won the Nobel Prize for his work in fertilizer production, was now known as the father of chemical warfare. His legacy was tainted with the grim reality of his innovation, a chemical agent capable of causing horrifying damage to the human body. The Allied forces, recovering from the shocking introduction of this new weapon, had to contend with its implications. General Sir John French and Major General Arthur Curry were tasked with not only incorporating gas masks and other defensive measures into their strategies, but they also faced the ethical decision of whether or not to respond in kind. The international community reacted with outrage to the use of chemical weapons. The widespread condemnation led to the signing of the Geneva Protocol in 1925, prohibiting the use of chemical and biological weapons in warfare. Ypres, the site of the first major gas attack, became a symbolic reference in the discussions leading up to the signing of the protocol. Despite the protocol, the dark precedent set by Ypres loomed over future conflicts. The Second World War and subsequent conflicts saw the continued development and use of chemical weapons, reflecting the enduring impact of Haber's grim innovation. The Second Battle of Ypres, with its introduction of chemical warfare, marked a chilling evolution in the history of conflict. This dark precedent, a testament to humanity's capacity for destruction, became a stark reminder of the ethical boundaries that must be upheld even amidst the chaos of war. It underlined the necessity of international regulations to prevent the horrors of Ypres from being repeated, shaping the future discourse on warfare ethics and weapon development.